Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Six Second Stories. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and today we're going to talk about tools, the tools you need, the tools of the trade, the tools that you're going to use to put all this theory that we've been talking about to good use, okay? So I hope you know how I feel about things by now, that my general feeling that all the tools that we really need are are here inside of us, right? If we harness our storytelling ability and harness our creativity, then it really doesn't matter what tools we use. But today is going to be a practical conversation chock full of plenty of information so we're going to get to it really quickly but we're going to show you kind of break it down in a bare bones budget and a mid-range budget and a higher budget level of what actual tools that you need if you're going to tell stories specifically using video i'm coming from a filmmaking background this is how i tell most of my stories but a lot of the tools that we're going to talk about today can apply to written stories can apply to audio stories you can use some of these same software and equipment to for any kind of story that you want to tell but specifically we're going to talk about video storytelling because i think obviously i'm biased as a filmmaker but i also think that this is the way of the future and i'm not just making that up folks look at the stats google it all right we're going to go ahead and get to it because we got a lot to cover today the best way i think that we're going to go about this is just to go down the line of the filmmaking process okay that'll help kind of inform us too about what's needed how much time we're going to need and to kind of look at our overall outline and and timeline and schedule and budget about how we're going to pull off any video, large or small. Okay, so now that you know you want to do a video or maybe you have a video campaign or a series that you're going to do, you got to write it, right? You got to think about what stories that you want to tell and you need to lay them out first. 
maybe in an outline form, or maybe you go ahead and do a whole script. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Simply to write something, there are plenty of tools. You guys will probably know word processors that you can use. Microsoft Word, Apple Pages, uh, Google Docs and, and Google Drive. Any of those will work just to put your ideas on paper. So for me, I like to use the television format, which is a two-column script where you have video on one side and audio on the other. And that just simply means you break it down per scene or per shot. And you say on the left column, you say, this is what we're going to be seeing. Uh, you know, rain sprints down the street. And then on the, on the right column, you hear the audio. What are we going to hear? It could be music playing or it could be like narration or voiceover. Uh, rain saying, I remember doing sprints in eighth grade on the soccer field, blah, 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 whatever. Um so that format is really simple. You can do it with any of those those uh, word processor applications, and it just allows you to kind of see what's going to happen next, and then you can go from that and build a shot list. You can storyboard. A lot of people like to storyboard. I've never really been a big storyboarder. I think I, out, I outline things just like when I'm writing an essay, and I break down my acts, and then my segments, and then my scenes, and then I just go through that and make a shot list and make it kind of make logical sense of when to shoot things based off of, you know, who's going to be needed, the locations, etc. But I keep it pretty simple with writing. If you wanted to use something a little longer, if you're doing maybe a documentary, uh, you can certainly use a script. And what I use for screenwriting, the old like standard is Final Draft. Final Draft has been around for a long time. Some people love it. Some people don't like it so much. I, I've always used it and think it's fine for that um that screenplay format, which is very, you know, very specific. And most of us might not need that. But if you find yourself needing that, Final Draft is a good way to go. But it's certainly not the only option. There's Movie Magic, there's Celtics, which I think has a free and a paid version. And there's Writer's Duet, I think it's called, where you can kind of work with somebody to write uh, to write the screenplay together. So any way that you can, whatever works for you guys, but you need somewhere to put down the story on paper so that you can see it and see the scenes and segments that you need to capture. Okay, so now that you got this, you know you want to make a story, you've gotten it written out, you've raised the money, we'll, we'll deal with that later. This is just the tools of filmmaking. You got to think about the people that you need to carry this out. And that's a long list. And like anything, most of the things we're going to talk about today, there's a, a lot of options. And if you have a good budget, you can get as get as many of those options as you can, I think is a wise decision, but most of us are going to be struggling for time and money, and we may not be able to get all those options. So first, you need the people who are going to be on camera in your story, in your film, okay? That's your subjects, your characters. This the, They make or break everything, okay? If you don't have good characters, then it doesn't matter how many people you have behind the camera, you're not going to be able to pull out a good story. And it takes a lot of work to seek out those people who can tell those stories that you need to. And those people have to be likable, but more important than likable, they have to be relatable. They have to be real characters, three-dimensional characters with flaws and virtues and somebody that your audience can identify with, okay? And that can be actors or non-actors. A lot of the times if we're doing documentaries or testimonials or stuff for, for our companies or our organizations, it's going to be non-actors. And that takes a little bit of work to deal with them and get them used to being on camera. So that's another thing you need to look at is like, okay, who is comfortable being on camera? Someone who's great in real life might not always be great on camera. It's a whole different world. That being said, now there's a whole team of people who have to make that person comfortable on camera, okay? First and foremost, you're going to have producers. Your producers, there's a long list of them, but essentially they're the people who make the whole thing run. 
Some of them focus on money. Some of them focus on scheduling. Some of them focus on crew and the pieces put together. But a producer is like a manager. Okay, they always they make things happen. Oftentimes, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, you have to wear several hats. So you might be a producer and director. Director is the creative visionary. That's the person, preferably, who's asking the questions in an interview. Someone who knows where they want to go with the stories, working closely with the editor. Yes, they deal with the clients and deal with the producer and deal with the other crew, but they're really locked in on the story. If you're a sports fan, this is the coach, okay? The general manager is the producer. The owner is the uh, executive producer, who's usually just the money person, typically. And the coach, or the chef, if you're into cooking, is is the director, the creative visionary, okay? Oftentimes, you're wearing both hats. I do that all the time, and it's tough because I'm going back and forth between creative and analytic or, or logistical. Uh, beyond that, now you start to get into the real crew that's needed. Director of photography, or cinematographer, or cinematographer, or camera operator, whatever you want to call them. This is the person running the camera. If you have a bigger budget... This is the person who's in charge of the visual look of the whole piece. That person, to me, is invaluable because I'm not super technical. I really am a good producer. I try to be a good director. That's a little harder for me. Uh, I like to be more creative, but naturally I'm a good producer. And I can shoot. I enjoy shooting. I've shot films. I've shot all kinds of projects, but I really love to have some visionary there that is there. They're an artist, a true artist that, that paints the look of the picture. And that person is crucial. A lot of times we're not going to have the ability to have that person. You may be producer, director, and DP or camera operator. Now that's going to be hard. After camera, (laughs) after camera is debatable if this is in terms of importance or the the hierarchy, not hierarchy, but, but the priority. Audio. If there's any way possible, if there's any room in the budget, please get an audio person because they can focus on that and make sure the levels are there and mix while they're on set so that it makes your job easier in post-production and you don't have to worry about that. It's one of the most technical things and it's really hard for me to worry about audio and video and what the subject's saying all at the same time. So if you can get an audio person, get them, get them, get them. Trust me on that one. Lastly, of course, there's a million different people that we can have on set, but lastly, another another really crucial role is a PA or production assistant. And again, I've said this for almost every every uh, role or person that we've described, but if you can afford it, get them. The more people that you can have help, the easier the process will go, and it'll get you quicker down the process of making the film so that you can edit the film and get it out to your people. So a PA, a production assistant, could be a variety of things. They kind of wear several hats, and they kind of do whatever is needed to be done to make everything run efficiently. So they could be taking notes on what's being said by the interview subject, like uh, an office or administrative PA, or they could be wrangling cables or, or finding getting uh, new batteries or setting up lights like a set PA. They could also be doing something that is generally the the job responsibility of a DIT, which is a digital image technician uh, or digital imaging technician. That's basically a media manager. And while that is a certain specific role that many people will hire as well, and if you can have somebody like that on set, but sometimes the PA can double for a DIT as well and they can back up your footage as it comes in and organize it in a bin so that once you get it to the editor, it is, uh, you know, notes are made on it. It's organized. They know what they're getting. So all of those people 
would really make things move more efficiently. But hey, I've done the one man band thing for a long time. It is possible, but it's takes a lot of work. You know, if you're if if it's like trying to sail a boat by yourself. I mean, sometimes it's near nearly impossible unless you are used to it and you have your eyes on all the the different things going on. But there's a lot of room for error there. So as soon as you can get to the point where you can afford somebody or find some value for them, if you can't afford them, so it's something they can use on their reel or they're really passionate about the project, any way that you can get extra hands on the set is going to help you. Okay, so now that we know what we want to shoot, we got the people on board so that we can shoot, we got to start looking at the equipment. First and foremost, cameras. Can't make a video without a camera of some sort. Good news is we all have them right here in our pocket. Most of us have smartphones now. Most of them shoot incredible footage. I just got the new iPhone. It shoots 4K. It's gorgeous. It's really, really gorgeous. So if you have good content and if you have a good story and it's compelling and you're relatable you can do this with your iphone you can connect with your audience you can sell your product you can raise money and raise awareness with your smartphone okay that is the first the first level if you don't have much money use the tools that you have at your disposal next up maybe an action camera the classic case is the gopro i have i think the gopro 4 right here. Uh, I think they're up to the seven now. And now they're like super stable. But even the four shoots 4k, it shoots high frame rates, like 120 frames per second. So you get that really smooth, slow motion, that crisp, slow motion look. Um, and they're perfect little cameras. They're about three or $400. And you can put them in different, uh, you can you know, attach them to different places, you can put them in different hard to reach angles. And especially if your phone's not available, because you're using it for something else, or you're not even comfortable using it and putting it somewhere where it could be damaged, because it's so much more than a phone and a camera. It's everything. It's a little computer. GoPro or an action camera camera like that can really do a good job to tell the story. Next level up, DSLRs. That's what I'm shooting on right now. Uh, DSLR traditionally was a photography camera. Some years back, they added a video feature, and it was better than they intended for it to be. And so cinematographers were like, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the video on these, on these DSLRs, but they're pretty amazing, especially when you have, have the right lens. And then they started making movies with these. So I'm talking about the Canon 5D and 7D. These are like the indie filmmaking standards, right? But I've been shooting a series right now on the Panasonic GH5. Beautiful, beautiful image. Sony's now even in the game. They've done a lot of professional cameras for, for years and years. But now they're, they're in the DSLR game. They had the A7 series. Now they have the A9 series. Also gorgeous image. Currently, in this video, if you're watching the video, I'm shooting with a Canon 60D. Got it in 2012 in Madrid when I was making the film Raise Up. It shot the whole film with one lens, and it's still doing work for me. That's that's kind of middle ground. There's like the consumer market for them that's a little cheaper, and then you got the kind of the prosumer, and then a little more professional. Either way, it's going to cost you a thousand to maybe three thousand dollars to get one uh, kit and kind of kit it out with maybe a lens and some batteries and that sort of stuff. Really good, fairly simple to use, uh, especially if you have any general knowledge. If you don't, I still recommend a GoPro, which is even simpler, and of course, your phone, your smartphone camera. If you want to take it one more step up, you have professional-grade cameras, which have a larger chip. Sometimes they have two uh, XLR inputs for audio, so you can run the audio right into the camera, which DSLRs uh, typically don't have, not for multiple tracks at least. And that's uh, 
Canon C300 or Sony FS700 or FS5. Um, right now I'm shooting a film called Finding Croatoan on the C100, the Canon C100, and sometimes the C300 when we have a decent budget. And it's it's awesome. It looks gorgeous. I love the footage, again, especially if you have good lenses. But you can they're usually bigger, so you can rest them on your on your shoulders, kind of like a news ENG camera, which you know with DSLRs you're, you're not able to do because they're so small and so handheld. So when you want to take it up to that next level, that professional grade, that's available to you as well. Now that's going to take somebody who really knows what they're doing. So if you don't have a DP or a director or producer that knows what they're doing, I wouldn't suggest using those. But they're beautiful, beautiful cameras. And if you're really looking for that high end production value, that's what you're going to want to go with. But they're also around six to eight thousand dollars. So a little more, little more budget that you're going to need to get those professional grade cameras. But you can do that wisely. You can you can rent them. You can also purchase them and resell them when you're done with the project. If you have like a year long project or something like that, uh, you can rent it out. There's a lot of different ways that you can make your money back on that. But it's not just a one time I spend this money and then it's gone. You got to look at the value that it's bringing in, right? So a lot of different options there for camera. Don't overthink it. Use the simple tools if that's all that you're able to use, right? You stay in your lane, right? Use whatever camera is appropriate for whatever level you're at. Now, when talking about cameras, we talked about lenses several times. And so a lot of the DSLRs, like the one I'm shooting on now, and on the professional-grade cameras are going to have interchangeable lenses. On the GoPro and the smartphone, they have software in them that that mimic what a lens will do. So in, in the GoPro, you have the wide angle, and that's going to mimic a wide-angle lens. And in the GoPro, or in the phone now, they can do a lot more in terms of like setting your aperture and I think that, you know, you can zoom in and stuff like that. And now there's also, they've had these little lens attachments that you can put on your smartphone, which help too. But I'm going to run through the basic kinds of lenses so that you can see what your options are. First, we have what's known as prime lenses. That's going to be one set focal length. Probably one of the most standard ones is, is 50 millimeters, right? Um, that is... It, that is still wide angle. It's getting a little longer. I'm shooting, uh, I shoot my interviews on a 20 millimeter lens right now in this uh, Carcinoid Cancer Foundation series. That's pretty, that's wide angle. That's a wide angle lens so that I can be close up and I can catch a lot of what's going on. All the background, all that. Uh, the the uh, fisheye, the fisheye lens is a very like, extreme wide angle lens and also um, just kind of a funky look if you're doing like skate videos or if the GoPro's in the car and you need to get both people in there, uh, that wide angle is going to get the most the width in your shot if you don't have a lot of space, okay? So prime lenses just means anything that's at a set focal length, 100 millimeters, 50 millimeters, 20 millimeters, whatever it is. A zoom lens is going to be the opposite of that. That's going to be one that changes. Uh, uh, I think the one I'm shooting on now is, is 18 millimeters, yep, to, to 135. So that's that's a pretty good range. For me, I love zoom lenses because I shoot documentaries, and I don't have time to stop and change the lens depending on the shot that I'm shooting, which is what you'll do when you have a prime lens. You'll be like, okay, now we're going to punch in for the close-up, and you get the longer lens. So I like a zoom lens, and I shot rays up on one lens, which was this 18 to 135, and I'd... I'd you know, punch in when I needed to get close and get really, really close on the, uh, you know, the content that I was shooting. And if I needed to capture more context, I would, I would pull it back and, and stay more towards that 18 range. So zoom lenses, 
are really versatile. A lot of people don't like them because you got to be really good on the move. You got to be really good in that kind of run and gun format, which I specialize in. I've always kind of been in that frantic shoot from the hip uh, mode or world or whatever. So I like a zoom lens. Um, Wide angle we talked about. Typically that's anywhere from like 18 to uh, I think 70. Around 70, you start to get in what's called telephoto. That's kind of medium telephoto. 70 to 135. Once you're past 135, 140, you're definitely in like telephoto uh, lens category. And beyond that, 100 or I think uh, 200 to 300 is super telephoto. Um, the seven, the 70 to 200 Canon like silver or gray lens that, that's so uh, such a staple, such a standard of of the Canon series, like. That's that's what my mind always comes back to when I think of like a telephoto lens, or and that's a zoom telephoto lens. That seventy to two hundred is such a good range to get stuff far away and really get close and get some you know good detail about what's happening in that shot. Uh, lastly, there's we talked about the fisheye lens, but lastly there's a macro lens which just is really capable of focusing on things close up. So if you're really punched in, you don't have a lot of room and you really want to get the details of the letters on the keyboard or the the, the inscription on the, the penny, that would use a macro lens. And like I said, you can also have these lens attachments to your smartphone that that's do a lot of the functions of these lenses. I have one that's a fisheye lens and I have one that's a, a macro lens. So Think about what lenses you need, and again, keep it simple. Keep it for the job that you're doing. Next up, we're going to need some form of stability, okay? It's really hard to shoot handheld, especially with a smaller camera like a like a DSLR. Again, I've spent my whole career in this kind of run-and-gun format with DSLR, so I'm comfortable with it, but it's not easy, and you see that shakiness. And even though that shakiness is kind of forgivable now, it's still not a good look if you're not, it's not a good viewing experience if it's too shaky. So the first thing you need is a tripod. There's a variety of options. I got a really cheap old one now that breaks down. Uh, you can pull the head off and it breaks down really small for me to travel with. And it's not perfect. It's not pretty, but it does the job and it's easy to travel with. Your big standard tripod, like a Manfrotto uh, fluid head tripod, which fluid head just means that you can control the drag on the pan, on the pan and tilt and you can put a little bit of resistance on it so it's a smooth, smooth motion and not just jerky depending on, you don't have to be smooth. You put just enough resistance on it, any move you make is gonna be smooth. Those can get expensive. I mean, those can be $500, $1,000, $1,500. Those get really expensive, but they do the job. They get high angles. They're not as cheap as the one I'm using now. And you can just tell the difference. You can put those professional grade cameras on there and they will hold the weight. It won't tilt it down and make it start, you know, filming the floor. So if you can get a good tripod, get it, but you just need some sort of tripod to have it steady and have it level. Right now on my desk, I'm using one that looks like kind of War of the Worlds is there's little three legs coming down and they're they're flexible and they, they hold it, but they can be up high and then they can scoot down or shoot down low like a spider, keep it real low to the ground. You've probably seen these before. I don't know what their names are, just a flexible tripod. It's about 12 inches tall, but it can scrunch down to like two or three inches. That's fine too. If your phone, they have tripods for phones now. I mean, get some stability. It makes your job a heck of a lot easier. After the tripod, you may want to use a slider. A slider is something that can go up on two like light stands or it can go, it's a horizontal bar. It can also go on your tripod and it's just gives a little bit of motion. When you're interviewing somebody, you can pull it side to side or if you're shooting a scene, that little bit of motion adds so much production value to 
a film or a video, it looks professional. It looks like what a Hollywood movie would look like. If you watch a Hollywood film and you analyze the shots, you'll see that most shots have a little bit of motion, either side to side or forward and back. Sometimes sliders uh, do that, and they kind of mimic the look of a dolly when you certainly don't have dolly and track and need all that. Another thing, now we're starting to see a lot of stability devices out there. The uh, handheld gimbal, um, I've got one here for my GoPro. It's called the Karma Grip. This sort of thing, I think Osmo was maybe the first one that came out, but now they're for every DSLR camera you can find them. And it just allows you to like run with the camera. You know, we used to use glide cams or, or steady cams, but now you can kind of get that same uh, look in your video footage with a stabilizer like that. They're a little too robotic for me sometimes because you can control them uh, on the stick, on the grip, and you can kind of see that it's not natural looking movement. But it does really good when uh, when you're handheld and you just need some some stable look. Now the next level up would be like the big stabilizer. It looks like you're carrying a, a two-handled leaf blower or something with the strap and the harness and all that. Uh, the 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 gimbal, the Ronin, DJI Ronin. It's the one you might have seen where it's a big grid in front of you. The camera's in the middle. You got two handles. Sometimes they got the little fishing pole coming over the top of your head. Uh, to keep with a string on it just to keep a, extra stabilization. I'm seeing these used all the time now. I still shoot handheld, but I've worked with these before. That's going to be your your next level up when you really want something to look smooth and look like a Hollywood production. I would look at any of those, but try to get some stability because it takes your look from amateur to professional or at least close to professional very quickly. Okay, now that we have our camera and everything that supports it in place, we're going to need to make something look good that's going to be on camera, and we have to light it, okay? This is going to be a quick one because we may or may not have the, the, the knowledge of lights or the capacity or money for any of this, and that's okay because guess what? There's one light out there that every other light tries to mimic and tries to look like, and it's free, okay? It's the sun. It's the sun, guys. Everybody, natural light looks the best, and every light out there is trying to do what the sun is doing for us, even when it's not a sunny day. It's a, it's a little cloudy outside right now. I've got a light on me. I'm going to cut it off. Sorry if you listen to the audio. Boom. I'm still lit because I'm sitting in front of a window right now. I'm not, I'm not in the dark. I'm not in the shadow. You can still see the shadow of my microphone on me because I'm sitting in front of a window, and the sun is hitting me, right? So if you have nothing else, nothing else to use, Get near some natural light if you're shooting inside. That's going to look the best. A lot of the times I light my interviews just with natural light and maybe a little bit of fill light, which is kind of what this is doing. If you can get anything else, the next step up would be something like this, which has seen better days. It's a little busted up, but that's because it's been doing a lot of work. It's an LED panel that goes right on top of your camera. I shot rays up with this. That's why it's so beat up. Uh, with this one light and one microphone and one camera and one tripod. And... It helped. It just gave me the light that I needed on subjects, and then I could use the sunlight otherwise. If not, right now I'm using just a practical light. The lamp that I have in my office, I've turned it up, and it's facing towards me now, and it's giving me some extra light on my face so that you can see my beautiful face. Uh, you can take the lampshade off, and that light you know, will spill out. Now, that'll kind of go everywhere, and it's not controlled, but at least it'll illuminate the room a little bit more, okay? Now, if you have some a little more money, you'll get a light kit. And now they're way smaller, way less heavy. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, way cheaper than they used to be. I used to have a big airy kit that was huge, and I remember carrying it around the streets of D.C. and sweating in July. It was awful. Now I've got one that's a one-by-one, one-foot-by-one-foot LED panel, just like that one. Put it on a little stand. It gives you lots of great light, and you can control the temperature and the intensity of the light. It's perfect. Your basic three-point lighting, which you can look that up, but essentially it's going to be a key light, which comes across the face about 45 degrees and creates shadows from your nose and your eyes. Those shadows show that you are three-dimensional and not flat face, right? They show that you are a person with three dimensions, so you create those shadows. Sometimes those shadows can be harsh, so then you come on the other side and you fill that in with a fill light. It's a little less intense than the key light, fills in those shadows a little bit more. And then finally, the third piece is a backlight, or some people call it a hair light, which goes behind you somewhere off camera that just kind of like outlines you or gives you a little halo so that you don't blend into the background. So lighting is super important. Just remember, you want the light to be in front of your subject, okay? If you can do that any way possible, you don't want them to be blown out behind uh, with being backlit with the sun behind them or something like that, unless you have the right equipment to go against that, right? So if you just have your phone, orient yourself, get around some big windows, and make sure you capitalize on what light is available. Okay, next up is audio, microphones. We've already talked about this a little bit and how important audio people are, but if you can't have one on your staff, then you have to get some microphones or be conscious of your audio yourself. So you guys can see right now, I've got this microphone really close to me. That's the first rule. Get the mic as close as you can. Typically, we wouldn't have it on screen here, but you guys know I'm recording this, okay? I'm not making a video that's going to be as a commercial or something like that. You know I'm talking straight to you, and I've got this microphone on camera, and it doesn't matter. I've also got another microphone on the camera pointing me as well as a backup. So if you're shooting with your phone and you have no microphone, even though there are little lavalier microphones, like the lapel microphones that will plug into your phone now, and then you can pl you can attach it to the person's collar. If not, and you just have your phone, just get as closely as possible. The microphones, just like the cameras, are getting better every day, okay? If you don't have, or if you have that and you got a little bit, little bit more money to spend, get a shotgun mic. Uh, Rode, R-O-D-E, is probably one of the most common brands. That's what I've got on my camera right now. And usually they're a directional mic, which means whatever they point at, they get the camera, the on-camera mic on your DSLR or on your, on your iPhone is going to pick up everything around it. It's called omnidirectional. This is going to be directional, this shotgun mic, and it's going to get whatever you point at. It'll get some of the stuff in the background, but it'll get less of all the noise that's going on back here and more of the subject that you're pointing at, which is crucial, so you can kind of control it a little bit better. That's huge. And you can and you can tell, I'll show you right now, that it's not that bad audio. So I'm speaking into this mic, and that's what you're hearing, but watch this. Now, Kristen, switch to the shotgun mic. And now here I'm talking to the shotgun mic. So you can probably hear the difference, but it's not really crazy. It's still pretty good audio. Kristen, switch back to the table mic. And now I'm back here. Switch again. We are on the shotgun mic. And now switch back. We're back to the table mic. So even if I just had the shotgun mic on the camera, it still would be pretty decent. That's going to take your game up a whole nother level, maybe even a couple levels. So after that, another good um, tool is an audio recorder. This is the Zoom H4N. Now they have the H6N. Again, this little tank has lasted me for a long time. It's been putting in work for a long time, and it's still doing great. That is a microphone, 
These top two pieces are microphones, but what it's doing for me right now is an audio recorder. I'm sending this microphone, my table mic, into that. So it's kind of like a mixer, but when I can't afford a big mixer and don't even know how to use it, this is like a two-track mixer where I can put a lavalier mic or this table mic or anything with XLR or even the mini plug into that, and then I can kind of like check my levels and see where they're at, and I can adjust accordingly. It gives you a lot more control. Those I think are about $400, so if you have a little bit more money, use that. You can also put this device somewhere and capture some audio. Uh, if you're shooting a wedding or something like that, you can put it up by the altar and it'll pick up the audio up there. So you can place this um, in other locations where maybe you can't get a mic too, something like that. And lastly, if you have a lot of money to spend, get a lavalier mic or a lapel mic. That is the wireless mic that you would put on your subject and usually goes behind their tie or in their collar or on their coat lapel or something like that. And it really does a good job of isolating your subject's voice, okay? Now, these are going to start to run you a little bit more money. Sennheiser and Sony are kind of the classics with this. The standards, they're 500 to 1,000 or even more. Uh, so make sure that you have the money and you know what you're doing with it because the shotgun mic is pretty good as long as you're close with it. But if you have a lavalier and you can't get the camera close, now that is going to be really good because then you're making sure you're getting the good audio. Again, the simple rule of the mic is get it as close as possible um, without it, you know, without it ruining the frame. I used to not like seeing the microphone, but now it's pretty forgivable. Forgivable. People don't mind it. Make sure you don't get it too close to the voice box if they have a lot of bass in their voice and they talk really loud. You want to dial it back so it doesn't peak. Um, but lavalier mics are awesome. And lastly, of course, as we've already mentioned, if you really have the budget, get an audio person who will have a boom mic in there and will take a shotgun mic and get really close right above the people talking. It's all, it's in frame and then you back it off out of frame, boom, and you shoot it right there. That's going to be your best case scenario. But again, now you're hiring extra hands and extra equipment. And we always don't have that possibility. So Get what level microphone you can, get it as close as you can, make sure you get the best audio you can. Trust me. Okay, so now that we have all that equipment, we're going to need something to put all the content that we capture from it on. Okay, we're going to need some media. The first thing you're going to need is an SD card. Now that we have 4K video and huge files, we need a really fast one. We need one that writes and reads really fast. It used to be you could just have a class 10 card and you're good to go. But now I suggest getting one with a lot of space, uh, somewhere 64 gigs, but really 128 gigs uh, or higher. I just got one that was 256 gigs because I was running a GoPro at a workshop and it ran out about halfway through and I really could have used that footage. So I just said, forget it. I'm going all in and getting a big one. But you want one that reads and writes at 90 megabytes per second or more. Okay. That's going to be crucial because it will stop on you. It'll drop frames. You want something that this is a classic case of it's really, really worth it to go ahead and put your money in it in the beginning instead of like, you know, inching along when you have a little bit more money and a little bit more money and getting the cheap versions. It's definitely worth putting your money up here to get a good SD card. After you get the card, you're going to need a drive to put it on. Um, a lot of us have space on our on our uh, laptops and stuff like that, but I'm telling you, external hard drives are going to be the way to go, especially if you're going to be producing a lot of content. I use the, uh, it's plugged in right now, but I use the LaCie uh, rugged mini. It's the orange one that kind of has that little like padding on the side. It's a four terabyte drive. 
It's a four terabyte drive, about that big, super small. It doesn't even need power. You just plug it to the computer and it powers up on its own. I would recommend putting it there and then backing it up somewhere else. And even my nerdy editor friends back it up a third time somewhere else. I even have friends that are like, I put one in the house and one in the office because just in case the office burns down, I'll have the house copy. And if the house burns down, I'll have the office copy. You really can't have enough backups. But make sure you get some drives that you can put that content on. Now that the content's on the drives, we got to edit it, okay? There's a lot of new options out there. If you want the professional standards, I edit with Adobe Premiere Pro or Adobe Creative Cloud. It has all the stuff, you uh, all the other programs, Photoshop, InDesign, etc., that communicate to one another. But you can subscribe to it now. You don't have to buy the whole, the whole license like you used to back in the day. You can subscribe to it monthly or yearly like I do and get the upgrades and it's pretty user friendly final cut pro is still out there and still doing pretty well that's what i used to use back in the day but a lot of my friends started moving to adobe and adobe made it really easy to move from final cut to to their program to premiere so i kind of went that path i don't think any of us are really going to be using avid which is the really like uh, professional standard but a lot of us may be using iMovie instead, which is a free version that comes on your, your Mac products. So your iPhone will have that, and that is really, really user-friendly, and did I mention free? So look at iMovie. There's a lot of other options out there. Just Google it. There's a lot of video editing apps right now because that is a service that is needed by so many. I edit on Premiere Pro, so I don't really use a lot of those, but I see in my in my articles that I read every day all the new um, apps that are coming out that can just do simple things like add text um, and add music and stuff to make your videos pop a little bit more. There's also artificial intelligence right now that can make a pretty good edit that you can just put your content in and it'll spit something uh, else back, it'll spit something back out at you. Now, I don't know how much I'm going to endorse that because you know how I feel about storytelling and I don't think it's doing that. But hey, we're also talking about how to get video to your customers or clients or the people that you serve. That's an option out there for you. Just check out Google and see what other video apps are out there. But I'm telling you, if, if you're looking at the free version, look at iMovie. And if you're looking at something where you have some money to spend, or at least on a couple months or a year, look at Adobe Premiere. Now that you've made the edit or your editor has made the edit, you're going to need a way to upload that to your client or to your internal team. I would suggest a couple of different things. Dropbox, Google Drive, both of these are cloud-based software that the, the free version has a limit, a pretty small limit on what you can upload. But when you spend, uh, I think it's 100 bucks, like a year, you get a pretty good amount of space. I would use either one of those. Google Drive is really good. I use both of them. But Google Drive is really good because you can keep that with your documents and all that stuff as well. And it does a really good job of being able to communicate and comment back and forth to each other and assign tasks to one another. And Google's done a pretty good job of... Um, making that seamless, I think. Uh, but there's also, sometimes you just need to send it to a client and they don't have Dropbox or know how to use any of that and you want to use a, a large mail sender. I used to use and still do sometimes um, MailBigFile or YouSendIt.com or WeTransfer.com. Um, WeTransfer is probably the standard, standard that most people know about. Uh, I think you can send two gigs for free and then if you have the subscription or it's maybe up to 10 gigs, still pretty good. Most of the time, you're not going to be uploading a two gig uh, video just for notes from your client. So using that's going to be really good to, to send it back and forth. And then lastly, I use an app called Frame.io. And Frame.io is really cool because 
That's something internally, or actually you can use with your client as well. You can use because you can do what we used to call a paper edit, which is I would look at the cut and I'd write the time code and then the edit that I needed or the note that I had and write the next time code and go down like that. Well, now I can make comments in real time on the video and it'll time stamp it. So when I'm making the comment, it'll pause the video on whatever frame I want it to. And I can say, you know, cut this shot 10 frames earlier or um, lose second six to second 13 or put a hat on his head or whatever. So frame.io is really good for that communication. You can reply and respond to each other. And it's if you can't be together, which now a lot of us are working remotely, it's a really efficient way to communicate. Also, I think Vimeo Pro has this ability too. I haven't used it on Vimeo because I use frame.io, but either way that you can have that review process, it makes it really easy to communicate with your staff. So I know we covered a lot of ground. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you might want to go check out the video because we'll have some images and some links that you guys can see. And I will try to include some links in the show notes. But let me just say overall, Google is your friend and YouTube is your friend. Okay. Look for what's out there and what's new and what's popular. Everybody is going through similar situations like this so they can give you advice. But ultimately, what I want you guys to take out of this is find the right tools for your purpose. Learn how to use them well so that you can tell the best stories possible. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. And join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.